Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and along with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk about the new pro set hockey set that will be coming out later this year. We're also going to finally, finally, finally talk about Tops Now Hockey Stickers. And we're going to talk about the Chicago Sports Spectacular, which just took place this past weekend. Tim, how are you today, man? Oh, uh, if I was any better, I'd be twins. Yes, the Sutter twins. We talked about that. Yes, all of them. All the 17 of the twins. All 17 of the six Sutter brothers, yes. yes. Or the two two twins and four other brothers. I don't know. There's like a half dozen Sutters that played in the NHL in the 80s and 90s. And then... Uh, I think there's yes, nine so. adopted ones, too. Um, not to be confused with Suter. There was Gary Suter, who was not a Sutter. It's also a person that would like to marry your daughter. What? A Suter. Oh, a Suter. Sutor. S-U-I-T-O-R. Yeah. Or 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 uh, Pius Suter that got dumped from the Blackhawks and sent elsewhere. Yes, that still kind of makes me a little sour. Where's he know? now? Uh, Detroit. Detroit, that's right. One thing I wanted to talk about that I've been meaning to talk about, and it's funny because two shows ago, I had on my list of things to talk about Tops Now stickers for 2122, And I just flat out forgot to talk about them. And so we skipped over it, and Tim didn't remind me, oh, hey, Sal, you, you, you said you were going to talk about this. He just, he, he must have forgotten as well, right, Tim? Uh, conveniently forgotten on purpose, maybe? Right. Accidentally? On purpose? Accidentally on purpose. So then the show after that, so the last show, I actually did talk about Tops Now stickers, but I got some of my information wrong. Tops does not do a great job of marketing and promoting and putting information out about its Tops stickers. Now contrast that with Upper Decks print on demand set game dated moments. They send me an email. Here are the new game dated moments cards that are coming out tomorrow. They will send an email. The cards are now available. They will put on Twitter. These cards are coming out. Here are images of them. They will put it on their blog. They will put it on their EPAC blog, as well as their Upper Deck blog. So they promote the heck out of their game-dated moments cards. Contrast that with Tops Now. They never email me about the stickers. Well, they did today. They actually did email me that there was an Alex Ovechkin sticker, but there's also, you know, in the email to talk about WWE cards and Star Wars and this, that, and the other thing. And, like, they didn't even tell me when it started. Like, it just kind of happened. And I was just like, oh, yeah, these are out again. Okay. So they don't really make the information that easy. I had to kind of, like, dig around. And so I kind of got my facts a little bit wrong about that when I was going to talk about them last show. So these are these are the facts now as I understand them. Just the facts with Sal. Just the facts, man. Just the facts. So there are two ways the Tops is selling these stickers. They're either selling all the stickers from that week in a pack, like a pack of 12, or in this case, it's a pack of 17. And or, this is different from last year, correct? Oh, no, that's the same. So they'll sell you like 10, you know, the 10 stickers, like stickers one through nine or, you know, one through 10 and then 11 through 25, because they might decide to put out like 14 stickers in a week or they might put out seven stickers in a week. So it seems to vary from week to week. 
Okay. Or they will sell you a single sticker, singles, but five at a time. So if you just want the Alex Ovechkin sticker from this week, you can buy the Alex Ovechkin as a five pack. Or if you just want the, um, you know, whatever, um, you know, uh, Patrick Kane sticker, you can buy a five pack of that. So if you buy the multi-pack, if you're someone who's like, I just want one of every sticker, you could buy the multi-pack. And that varies. So, for example, the latest pack, the one that's available this week, has 17 stickers and costs $34.99. So it's like two bucks a sticker. Or if you just say, ah, I just really want the Ovechkin sticker, you get a pack of five for $7.99. Now, what would happen in the past is somebody would buy five packs at a time, ten packs at a time, and you get a discount. And it's the same thing. If you buy multiple packs, the price drops, I think, when you buy them in multiples of five. And what would happen is somebody would buy five packs and then they'd part them out. They'd say, well, the Crosby sticker I could probably sell for five, six bucks. And the, you know, Dylan Strom, eh, maybe that'll get me a dollar or two, right? So they would buy multiple packs, try to get the Chase stickers, uh, which were usually a gold sticker, uh, either a gold sticker or a retro sticker, uh, the gold was a parallel. This year they have something called an ice parallel. No idea what it looks like. Don't know. Don't care. Haven't seen pictures of them. It's not like Tops really heavily promotes it. Like, ooh, you might get one of these. Don't these look cool? They just kind of mention, you know, look for ice stickers slash 10. I don't know if that means numbered to 10, limited to 10 copies, but not numbered to 10. One in every 10 packs. Don't know. I'm going to guess uh, they're probably numbered to 10. And they'd have to Maybe. do they, they'd have to put it's it basically in the, the same design though as last year, right? Yes, they don't look any different. And two years ago. So I'm gonna guess the ice parallel must mean that it's blue on the border rather than whatever it was. Maybe the whole thing is tinted blue. Could be. I know not that it's the same thing, but they do the top one hundred on the skate app. Mm-hmm. And the ice parallels of those are more blue than they mm-hmm. are the other colors. Because most of them are in like the team color, mm-hmm. but those ones would be blue. Mm-hmm. So, not that I'm trying to compare a digital fake card app to stickers by any means, but you know, if we're talking about the least popular hockey things out there, <laughs> this would be two of them probably. <laughs> Well, I mean, <sighs> listen, if we don't talk listening. about if we don't talk about tops every now and then we look like a bunch of upper deck fanboys and that's what we don't want to look like, right? People can call us fanboys or whatever, but let's be honest. How many releases in the realm of where we collect and what our wheelhouse is belong to everybody else? There's a couple Leaf Elite releases each year. You still mm-hmm. have President's Choice making stuff on the periphery that mm-hmm. a lot of people still don't know about. Right. And many people don't care about. Right. You know, even though it's pretty cool stuff. Other than that, Upper Deck's it. High end, yeah. low end, middle range. There's nothing else because they have the exclusive license. So yeah. it's kind of hard to not talk about Upper Deck when that's our only option. So Well, and we're quick to criticize when we don't like something, whether it's Upper Deck or not Upper Deck. You know, of course. if we think it sucks, we'll, we'll say it. You know, I mean... Of course, if anybody's seen some of my tweets the past few days, they'll understand. I'm critical of Upper Deck. Well, what did you criticize this time? Oh, uh, it was just a box of damaged cards that we bought over oh, the weekend. 
Yeah, we'll have so. to save that when we talk about those cards yeah. in, a, yeah. in, a few, in in probably our next show. But so the top Snell stickers. So this is like the joke that keeps on joking, right? Because here are some of the print runs. So they disclose the print runs of the stickers a week after they've been sold out. Because once they're sold out, they just say sold out. And then a week after that, then they say how many stickers get printed. So here are some of the ones on the high end. Or these are the two highest ones. I looked at their archive. Sticker number 26. Lucas Raymond scores first NHL goal. That 88 print run, do you want to guess the print run? Well. I'll give you a hint. It's less than 100,000. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say this. If that card was a game-dated moment on Upper Deck, it would have been sold out pretty darn quick, probably within 20 minutes. Okay. So if this is a Tops Now sticker, I'm going to go with 312 copies. Nope. Higher. Higher? Uh, Yeah. 500. Still higher. 700. Come on, dude. Let's go into the thousands here. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, the last time we talked about these, they were like 400. So, okay. Let's say 1,600. 2,393 copies. Wow. That's now. That's destined for the common box. That doesn't mean that uh, 2,393 people bought the single sticker packs. A lot of that could be somebody buying the five sticker packs. If I say I'm hype on this guy and I'm going to buy a hundred of the five packs, well, that's, that could be 500 stickers being bought by one person. Does that make sense? So what is the number exactly then? It's the number number of purchases or the number they're going to print? The number printed. That's the number they're going to print. Right now, because it's an odd because it's an odd number, it ends with the three. So that means at least three of them were people who bought the sticker pack of every sticker that week. The one copy of each sticker. I got you. And then, you know, so it's a combination of people who bought, who are just saying, I want the set. I want one of every sticker. And people who said, I just want this sticker. I'm going to buy them in packs of five, in multiples of five. What was the total again? 2,000 what? 393. So just under 2,400. So, if everybody just bought five packs, you're talking like four hundred and you know, like four hundred and seventy-five, something like 400, that, four hundred and eighty packs. Right, but that's not the case because yeah, it's, but it's we know not, that because of the number. So right, okay, four hundred. Uh, so four hundred and eighty people or so out there bought stickers. Now, so sticker number two, Seattle track and play first game in franchise history. That had a print run of one thousand ninety-three. 1,093. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Lucas Raymond beat out the Kraken. That surprises me. Now, these four are on the low end. Now, um, I saved the the, the lowest two for last because I'd look and I'd go, oh, that's not a lot. And I'd make a note of that and I'd scroll further down the list and be like, oh, that has an even lower print run. And oh, that. So, okay. So, sticker number 77. Patrick Kane moves to fourth all time in Blackhawk scoring. So you would think that'd have a pretty high print run, but it did not. Care to guess the print run on that one? 600. Oh, you are so optimistic here. Lower. 400. Nope. 200. 143. Jeez. Right, I know. Wow. Good okay, luck here's... completing your sticker book with only without missing. Yeah, so, I mean, some of those might have been Kane fans who bought, you know, five 
packs of the stickers. And that's the other thing, too, is that they don't disclose now, because I'd like to deduce how many was sold one way and how many was sold the other way. And they don't tell you how many packs were produced of the one of each sticker pack. They just tell you how many of each sticker was produced. Well, that's the thing, because if that if it's that total that you just said and everybody bought the five packs, that's less than 30 people buying that sticker. Right. Right. But again, odd number. So there's a few people, at least three people, because all these numbers seem to end in three. Well, not this one or that one. Okay. Now, a couple other ones. I won't make you guess, but sticker number 85, Blake Wheeler, first in franchise history to earn 700 points. 113 copies. Sticker number 60, Brad Marchand, fifth fastest Bruin to reach 400 assists. 109 copies. Jeez. And the lowest, sticker number 69, haha, 69, hilarious. Carolina Hurricanes, second longest season opening win streak. Had a Let me print- guess. Yeah. Three. No, that would be hilarious, too. Print run of 94 copies. Jeez. Now, some of those might have been five packs, you know. So, you know, if 10 people bought five packs, that would have been 50 right there. And then that would have been the other 44 would have been individuals, like people just buying the multi-pack one that had one of each sticker. But this is really sad when Tops Now stickers have now fallen into the less than 100 copies um yeah i mean okay subject matter sure not not as popular you know when they're up in the thousand two thousand ranges i'm still kind of shocked by that but just considering how it was especially at the tail end of last season where you know stuff was only getting 400 300, 400 pretty consistently each week. So the fact that you're up into the thousands, maybe it's because it's still the newness of the season. And of course, what the first one was a rookie. So, and Lucas Raymond doesn't have any cards yet. So mm-hmm. he'll probably be in series one for upper deck. But yeah, wow. Now, uh, there 94. Was... That's crazy. But I remember like maybe two years ago. There is a Tops Now card. It was about the Chicago Fire soccer team ending its losing streak. And it had a really, really sad print run. It was under 100 copies. You understand this is a catch-22, though, right? Okay. So you don't have the interest. People obviously don't care. So there's no popularity to whatever it is, whether it's the subject, the player, the team. Whatever. There's obviously no interest because nobody's buying it. If one's going to go for 2000 and the other one's going to be under 100 no one has interest in the one that's going for under 100 But what that does is it creates a scarcity. So on the back end, eventually that, that sticker, in this case, has less than 100 print run. So now the, the card that no, or the, the sticker that no one wants now becomes... I guess a more desirable one because of the low print run. Maybe. Um, oh, okay. I just did a quick Google search. So here, Chicago Fire tops now card twenty two print run seventy four cards. This was Chicago Fire Soccer Club win to end longest road winless streak in MLS history. 
that had a quantity of 74 cards. But wait, wait, hold my beer. There was another Chicago Fire card that was put out by Tops Now, and it is Chicago Fire Red Hot Season Fuels Playoff Birth. And that had a print run of 49 cards. So the Carolina hockey team sold more hockey stickers than the Chicago soccer team. So there you go. I mean, again, it's a limited market on this, right? You don't have a lot of people diving deep to get their top style stickers. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it just, I mean they do, they do a poor, see, the thing is, is that they do a poor job of promoting it, but there's no incentive. There's no incentive to buy them. Going back two years ago when they did the sticker book, not only did they give you an incentive to buy them all because the first pack came with a sticker book, so then you'd want to fill all the, the spots in the book, but if you bought the first, I don't know, 18 or 20 packs or whatever, like if you bought it every week, then you'd get a bonus pack of stickers that was about the All-Star game. And then if you bought like the next 20 packs, then you'd get another bonus set of stickers that I think was about the Stanley Cup finals or something. And there were actually spots in the sticker book for them. But then they just kind of like, they just said, eh, we're not going to do that last bonus pack because things got crazy. And instead of doing weekly packs, they started doing daily packs and then it just kind of went all, all over the place. But like it started out fun, but it didn't end fun. Like, you know, it started out like they were really trying hard. I think because Tops didn't get the license, they just don't care. It's like they really wanted the trading card license. So they said, yeah, we'll put out a sticker album. Like getting the the actual, like the yearly sticker album from Panini, I think that was a coup. Because I thought more or less Panini always did a great job with their hockey stickers. The stickers were always tough to build. Even in the 80s and 90s, it, they were hard to put together. It made it a little easier because you can order, um, you could either trade the stickers or later on you could just flat out order the stickers as well. Can't trade them anymore with Panini, although I remember mailing stickers to Panini and then they'd mail me back the ones that I wanted. With Tops, you couldn't buy the stickers that you needed. So the Tops stickers, not the now stickers, just the regular Tops album stickers, really tough set to put together. I've managed to put it together the past two years. But I, I feel now that, like, because Tops knows it's not getting the trading card license, it just doesn't care. You know what I mean? They're kind of like a lame duck. They just don't care. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of like when your coworker is getting laid off at the end of the month, but they're being kept around because they need them to do whatever job they're doing, but they know at the end of the month that they're gone. They just don't care. They just stop. I've actually had this experience. Uh, it's in the my lame job. duck period. Yeah. I had this experience as a web designer where like they fired all of our programmers except one and all of the programmers were like, mm, whatever. And then like, I would need their help to get something done and be like, yeah, yeah, well, I'll do that. Right. And it never got done. Because they're just like, well, whatever, I'm getting, you know. So I think that's what it is with Tops. They're just like, yes, we have the license to make these stickers and we're obligated to do it, but we're just going to do it because we have to do it. There's like a term for this in the video game industry called shovelware, where they're under a contract to make a video game, but it's not a good video game. They just kind of crank it out as fast as they can. I don't know why it's called shovelware. I don't know if it's like you're shoveling shit or if you're like, I, I, I shovel work because they're just shoveling the stuff out, and it's there's not a lot of 
time and effort put into the final product. Well, if you've ever played like a video game based on a movie and you're like, man, this game sucks. Oh, you, you mean know? like E.T. for Atari? Yes. Actually, though, E.T. for Atari, they actually tried. The, the problem with E.T. for Atari, there were a couple of problems. The first thing is, is that the programmer wanted to make a really good game. Spielberg said, can't you just make something like Pac-Man? You know what I mean? They just wanted something branded E.T. And then the other thing was, is that they needed it by Christmas. So we had like a really short turnaround time. Like I think in like five weeks, he had to like program, you know, come up with the concept, come up with the program. So, you know, that that's maybe a little bit of an unfair example. I'm talking about like, if you look at like the 90s and it's like, remember the movie Congo? Well, there's a video game based on it. And remember the movie, um, well, Jurassic Park had games and some were good and some were not so good. But uh, just you know the game of... I hated like that. What Friday the Thirteenth for NES? That game was horrible. That was a hard game. It was horrible. Remember, like that when you when you lost the game, it said like you are dead, all your friends are dead, game over. Yeah, that game was horrible. Like you Why couldn't you get past. That? You couldn't get past like the first five minutes of playing the game. It sucked. I'd get lost. I would just go around the campground and I'd get lost. Yeah, the game was dumb. So that, yeah. that's one that's dumb. Yeah. So anyway, so I feel like Tops is just kind of doing the shovelware thing here where they're just like, yep, we got to make these stickers, but we're going to put very little effort into them. On the same subject, I was trying to look to see if I could find like any eBay sales on that Tops Now Chicago Fire one you're talking about with the little mm-hmm. print run just to mm-hmm. see. There's nothing. Nah. Not a thing. Comps see uh, a bunch of the tops now mls ones yeah the lowest print one on here is a uh, is out of 65 uh-huh it's uh i don't know how to say the guy's name so i'll probably butcher it dario zuparic okay yeah uh, it's print run of 65 it looks like and person selling that wants seven bucks so hmm. i don't know if that's because the guy stinks because there's, there's one that's 76 print run and somebody wants 37 dollars so I don't know. I don't know anything about soccer and what the market is for those. So, but just know if you are a soccer collector and you want a Tops Now sticker that's low print run, there you go. Have fun finding it. Okay. So, should we move on to Pro Set Hockey for the 21 22 season? Please, no. I want to keep talking about stickers. So, by the way, I finally did order a box of 2021 Pro Set Memories Hockey. I should have that by the end of this week. I think yeah. because it was only four cards, it was kind of a tough sell for me to want to buy a box of it. I was so excited about it until I found out the specifics. Um, I so, almost bought one this weekend, but then I didn't. Yeah, I mean, same here. But you know what? I finally just used my DA Card World gift certificate. Because I wanted to get a box of OPG Platinum. I wanted to get a box of Pro Set Memories. So I just bought one of each from DA Card World. I used my gift card. And then I got free shipping because my order was over $200. Yeah. So I'll talk more about those when I get them. But Leaf is coming back with Pro Set for this year. So there's kind of a funny theme here. Because these cards look like the last year's cards. The 21 22 Pro Set Memories hockey cards look like the 2021 Pro Set hockey cards, 
which looked like the 1989 Pro Set football cards and the 1990 Pro Set hockey cards. So what they're doing this time is they're going to sell these in blaster boxes with 10 base cards and one memorabilia card. Now, when you told me blaster box, when you told me about this earlier this morning, I got excited. I looked it up. Then I saw that the blaster boxes were just going to have the same 10 cards over and over, the entire base set. And I'm like, oh, and it's 10 cards. Like if it was like a 50-card base set, I'd be like, okay, cool. Or if it was like you get a certain amount of cards, but they're different, you know, like they're like it was a 300 base card set, and then you'd actually have incentive to buy more than one box. Then I'd be like, oh, cool, all right, you know, we're going to get like a real set, not just like just autographs and buybacks. Now we're getting memorabilia, 10 base cards, which I guess they're like autographed cards without the autograph. Price and release dates to be announced. The base cards they did announce, they're going to be Brad Hall, Eric Lindros, Gordie Howe, Guy Lafleur, Yaramir Yager, Mario Lemieux, Marc Messier, Martin Brodeur, Pavel Bure, Timu Solani. No complaint about that lineup and then there will be parallels of the base all cards. hall of famers and one future hall of famer yes and one future hall of famer well he might die before he retires so we'll that doesn't see. mean he ain't going in the hall of fame because this will. is true parallel versions red light blue silver and yellow yeah and so i didn't want to i didn't want to interrupt you when you were talking about there's just the same cards over and over again but i did see that about the parallels what yeah. I'm wondering is none of the images that they've given us so far have any type of idea and print run or anything like that. So there's no telling at this point what those parallels are going to consist of. Mm-hmm. So if every box has 11 cards, the 10 base plus the one memorabilia, it's going to be interesting to see how many, like one out of 10 boxes has one parallel or one out of 10 boxes is a complete parallel set. Or if you pull parallels, is there going to be a yellow one and a red one? So then you technically won't have the whole set? I don't know. Because I was running it on these scenarios in my head going, okay, what if a box has all the base cards and they're all regular base cards, but two of them are red parallels? Well, now you don't have the full base set. You're missing two cards because you have two reds. Right. Or what if there's one red, one blue? Now you have even less. Right. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they do that. The memorabilia is going to be the same way. They have parallels, too, with all the different colors and everything else, I guess. And there are 75 different memorabilia cards. It looks like a lot of the players are going to have two cards. Yeah, I saw that, too. Most of them have two. There's a few that only have one. I'm guessing that's because of scarcity of whatever piece of memorabilia they chopped up. But uh, most of the big names, it looks like they all have two. So this will... Definitely be a lower price point because if you would if, assume so, yeah, but for one I don't put anything past card, them. Yes, I don't put anything past them though because mm. this is the more I thought about this, and this is the other thing too. They talk about it's a blaster box, right? Mm. And they're advertising it as a blaster. First of all, before I even go into that, this is what I think is kind of funny about this. I, I saw this all over Twitter with all the usual suspects posting you know their take on everything Mm -hmm. and so i went to leaf directly just to see what they had to say about it and there's one sentence on their page and it says and i quote leaf is excited to present to the market its newest blaster box release 
2021-22 Pro Set Hockey. The release includes Bade and memorabilia cards. Let me repeat that. Bade, B-A-D-E, and memorabilia cards of some of the greatest legends in hockey history featured on the iconic Pro Set 89 design. So sorry, I was corrected. There's two sentences. I'm not sure what Bade is. I'm going to guess it means blade. Base. Oh, base. Okay. So base and memorabilia cards. See, I was thinking it meant blade. I'm like, oh, there's like skate blades in here. Cool. This box is going to weigh a ton. The uh, the the guys that go and weigh, weigh all their cards before they buy them, hmm. looking for the hot packs, are going to have a field mm-hmm. day with this. Um, so, yeah. So that's all they had printed. And then they show their little title. Each box has 10 base cards. One game used memorabilia and a nice little picture. That's all they have. No other details, no other information. So talk about a tease, first of all. Second thing I started thinking, I'm like, okay, this is a blaster box, right? And this is Leaf. And Leaf generally doesn't put out direct-to-retail cards except for their cheap, I shouldn't say cheap, inexpensive Leaf NCAA football Mm -hmm. that they usually do. And guaranteeing one memorabilia in there, Hmm. makes me wonder what the memorabilia is actually going to be to put this at a price point where it becomes more in line with what blaster boxes generally are. And then they got to thinking, what if these aren't meant for actual retail? What if these are meant to just go to hobby shops? Because, I mean, let's face it, we live in a world now where most of the hobby shops all have the retail boxes now too. I don't think these are going to actually go to retail outlets. They're calling them blaster boxes I think because just because of the size to, and shape, right? The size, the shape, and, and capitalize on all the crazy idiots that think blaster means something special. Well, and I think the relative price point. I mean, sorry if one you're one of the listeners that's a crazy idiot like that. I apologize. Sorry to all actually, you crazy idiots actually, out don't. there who were offended actually, by I, Tim's latest rant. Yes, I I don't apologize. Actually, I take it all back. Um, I think they. But just, yeah, so you're in the same thing. You're in the same same level as me then because yep. about us even this is the first time we're really discussing this i swear to god i promise mm-hmm. and it, we're kind of on the same page like this is not necessarily intended for the walmarts and the targets of the world this might be going direct to dealers or being sold through their distribution channel somehow maybe direct online i'm not sure i guess we i mean obviously we need more details about it as we get closer to the release time um but yeah so all things all kind of things are going through my head i I will say this based on the checklist there's obviously some cards in here i'm going to have to chase myself personally Mm -hmm. uh, because of the fact that there's a mario in there and there's a yager in there and if you go down through the memorabilia checklist you'll notice that cards number eight and nine are bill garen as well Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of on the hook for that as in addition. Well, cards eight and nine in regular red, light blue, orange, blue, silver, and yellow. So yeah. should be fun to chase the rainbow, as they call it. Sure. Yeah. That's what they call it, right? Uh, I think that means something else. Well, that's like uh, Skittles. No, wait, that's, well, that's, that's Chase the, the Rainbow. Okay, yes. well. Yes. I think Chasing the Rainbow is like some kind of drug reference. Oh, I I wouldn't know. I'm 
I'm straight edge before straight edge became a uh, a trademark logo on a the bottom of a skateboard deck. Okay. Yeah. You or know the, the X's on the hand thing. Is that what so, that means? Yeah, when people have like the X's, I think that's what they mean. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm not cool. I don't know the lingo. But I'm pretty yeah. sure chasing the rainbow has something to do with trucks. <laughs> well, okay. We also don't endorse chasing any rainbows unless it's uh colored parallel versions of the same card, such as sure. red, light blue, silver, and yellow. That'll be in the new Pro Set Memories cards coming out later this season. Yeah. I wish they would have at least gave a, a ETA on it. I mean, even Upper Deck gives ETAs, even though they're drastically wrong, but they at least give them. Now, we haven't seen too many pictures of these. I've only really just seen what's on the uh, the side of the blaster box, but it looks like they're just kind of repurposing. I don't know if they're repurposing the same photos, but I feel like they were like, hmm, we already designed these cards. And we put autographs on them. We should sell them without autographs. So well, amazing- I can tell you the photo on the Lemieux mm-hmm. that was in Leaf on the autograph version is different than what's showing on this box. Okay. At least on the autograph one. Now, they also had the 9192 design that they had in ProSet Memories. Yep. So that's obviously different. And then the 89 design. The 89 design was also a different picture because he's in a white jersey mm-hmm. and it's the red border, mm-hmm. not the yellow one that's on this box. So they do have other pictures. I can tell you that. I mean, I like the designs and I wanted to see I, I wanted to see this. I mean, I know a 700 card set is not reasonable, but if it was like a 50 card set or a 100 card set. I would have been like, cool. That's what I wanted with the first go round. Like with this, if they took this idea, like if the $150 or $160 box of Pro Set Memories was 10 base cards, two autographed cards, one memorabilia card, and one or two buyback cards, and they upped it to $200, well, okay, that's a higher price point, but I would have liked that more. Like, I want more cards to collect, right? Like, the reason why I was hesitant to buying Pro Set Memories is because I knew I was going to pay, like, 150 bucks and get two autographs. And that's it. Like, no other joy. I mean, the buybacks, eh, unless I get Chris Chelios or Bruce Shoebottom, I don't really care. Well, the, the other two- thing, too, is how many Pro Set cards do you have, and this one just has a stamp on it? I mean, when you, well, the buybacks? Yeah, the buybacks. exactly. Yeah. It's right. like, I have 8 billion of these. Oh, but this one has a stamp. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, I want Chris Chelios because I religiously collect his cards. I mean, I also collect Ronick and Belfour, but I could see a Belfour card and go like, Neh. and I could see a Ronick card and go, I want that, but not for that price. But Chelios, it's like, if I can afford it, I will find a way, you know. And you um, don't have a problem with that, where it's basically the same card and they just take it and put a stamp and there you go. Now it's a new card all of a sudden. Yeah, but I don't care 90% of the time, but because it's pro set and you know how I feel about pro set. Yeah, yeah. And it's Chris Chelios. Well, we've had the discussion before and I've talked to other people about this is, you know, kind of what in the game did with vault where they took as much stuff that they had left over and just essentially put it back out there and stamped it with a very different color. One of one, one V one on it. And so you're like, okay, well, this is a one of one. Well, is it? 
because there might have been, I don't know, nine of this version and 15 of this version and four of this version and six of this version. And it's like you have to have a decoder ring to figure out how many are which when it boils down to you're just looking at it. And if you didn't notice the stamp, you would just think it's the regular card anyway because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's nothing else different about it. So. It's kind of, and it's also kind of like what they used to do in the early 2000s too, with all of the big shows, right? Mm-hmm. You go to those big shows and everything, and they would take those cards and put a put a metallic looking stamp on them, like Chicago National or Sports Card Expo or you know Toronto Expo, mm-hmm. um, and just stamp the cards, and they'd be becomes a promo card, even though mm-hmm. it's just a base card with a stamp on it. So I don't know how I feel about those, you know, buybacks. I feel like buybacks need to be something special in order for them to buy them back mm-hmm. instead of just a, a box of commons that everybody has lying around that's a hockey collector. I think we like buyback autographs because it's something we feel nostalgic about, but now there's been value added to it. Sure. Like a stamp doesn't do it for me. An autograph, that's different. Uh, 0708 Opeachy, I remember they put buyback cards in the blaster boxes that I was buying from Target at the time. They were in bought, Hobby, too, because I pulled one. Yeah, I mean, and I pulled I pulled a lot of them. Almost all of them were from uh, 8990 Opeachy. Yeah, that's the one I was from, too. I mean, I got one that was from 7677 Opeachy, and I think I got one from, like, 8283 Opeachy, and then I got, like, a bunch that were from... 8990 Opeachy, and five of them were actually the same card. They were the Patrick Waugh award winner card. And you got them back autographed? No, 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 no. These were not autographed. These were non-autographed buybacks. Oh, see, I was was talking about an autographed buyback. I got one of those. Who'd you get? Luke Robitaille. And it was 89 Opeachy. Wow. I still still have it. I even have the uh, redemption card still. I keep them together in the same top loader. So it was a, it was a redemption for that card is what you uh, got. Yeah, out of a hobby box of 0708 Opeachy. It was, uh, hey, you were entitled to this Opeachy buyback. And so I sent it in, and Mr. Robitaille ended up at my house. 2006-2007 Opeachy, I remember buying three blaster boxes at Target. This is when I kind of really got back into collecting hockey cards. It was that with that 0506 Parkhurst set, which came out at the end of the season, like right as the Stanley Cup finals were starting. Because I remember sitting and opening 0506 Parkhurst and watching game one of the cup finals between the Hurricanes and the Oilers. And then I know like that fall, I started buying a lot of hockey cards. Like I bought everything that came out. And I remember buying three blaster boxes from Target of 0607 Opeachy. And I got a Marcel Dion 8384 Opeachy card that was autographed. And on the back, it had the hologram sticker from Upper Deck. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, so that was an autograph buyback from a blaster box. Go figure, right? Nice. I mean, because that seems to be. Hard, but not impossible. Yeah, that's a tough pull. Yeah. But so that that's what I mean about having value added to it. When you just get a card that you, you got like 20 years ago or 30 years ago, who cares? Yeah. I guess I can understand the Bruce Shoe Bottom draw because there aren't many cards. Draw. 
No, I just want that for ironic reasons, kind of like those, uh, kind of like all of those uh, Rennie Bork artifact parallel cards that I've been hoarding. <laughs> Rennie Bork. <sighs> yeah. So I mean, um, yeah, I think so. Like, I feel like Pro Set, like they've put out two releases now, and they for hockey at least for hockey. Yeah, and they. They kind of both kind of do something that I want them to do, but they leave a lot to be desired. Yeah. In my mind, anyways, in my opinion. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it more once we get a release date and find out more about kind of what the, the specs look like mm-hmm. as more information gets released. But like I said, usually when you get something like that and they throw it out to everybody, there's a little more information than two sentences with uh spelling error <laughs> right so, yeah so uh you want to talk about the chicago sports spectacular that just took place this past weekend well, we were both there so we probably should yeah well, i think it's good because we have different perspectives uh I, I was set up to sell like i was set up to sell at the national so i didn't get a lot of time to really walk around and look at stuff and then at this show i was set up to sell so again I didn't get a lot of uh, time to walk around and look at stuff. It seemed like the show was consistently busy enough that I pretty much stayed by my table almost the entire time, other than to run to the bathroom and, like, maybe, like, wander just a little bit because I wanted to, like, check something out or I wanted to, like, find a certain table. But other than that, um, I was kind of a homebody. I just kind of stayed at my booth. Um, so the show was uh, November 19th to 21st at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. It was a good show for me as a seller. I'm kind of doing this more as a hobby, not as like a serious business. As the old adage goes, it takes money to make money. This is true. It takes and, money to make money. And when you're in a situation like that where you have you know, stuff to unload, you got to look at what your target target audience is. And it's, I mean, let's face it, around here... Around these parts, down in the U.S. of A, hockey's not the number one priority by any means. There's people that look for it. There's lots of people that look for it. But generally speaking, in these trying times that we live in, everybody's looking after the crazy, sick, graded, low serial number, rare pop count, whatever i'm just throwing words out there but you know what i'm saying that's what people are looking for so unless you have a table full of graded stuff and you're carrying around your your bro case i mean you've already limited your limited your audience but you know the few times that we wandered past you guys on saturday i mean you had plenty of people coming in and out and at least at least looking so from what i noticed and the thing is, is that, like, people would come in and they would just be like, they'd be like, got any Alex Ovechkin PSA 10 uh, Young Guns? And yeah. I would just smile yeah, I got and say, seven of them over here. Yeah, I, no, I'd smile and say, oh, I wish, you know, and, and chuckle and that be it. I mean, it was just, it was like, you know, I need a purple unicorn. Do you have a purple unicorn? It's like, no, I only have a green unicorn. Oh, I think part of my frustration, and I know you share this frustration, is that, 30 years ago, we'd see a table that might have vintage hockey from the 70s and 80s and be like, 
these are cool. Now, like, 90% of the people just look at it and go, hmm, old hockey, right? No interest. It doesn't have any shiny on it. It doesn't have a reflective surface. There's no chrome. There's no prism. There's no fanciness. There's there's no dofex. There's none of that. And, and you know it's what? old and it's plain and it's off center and it's miscut and it's it looks dingy and it's got bubblegum marks on it and wax stains on it. And for those of us that like it, we love it. And nobody, the rest of the people, if they don't understand, then whatever. It is what it is. So they'll buy it if it looks perfectly centered and the corners are perfectly perfectly sharp and it's encased in some plastic slab for yes. the rest of eternity until the next guy wants to crack it open and send it to a different arbitrary company that's going to give it another grade that he paid more money for in order to get. Yeah. Oh, and Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Anyway. <laughs> well, so the thing is, is that, yeah, once you put it in a slab, people pay attention to it. If it's not in a slab, it has to either be for somebody who's a fan of that player a fan of that team, or putting together that set. But I don't want to say, like, the general collector, but for, like, the collector who is definitely investment-minded. And I think that's kind of one frustration, is that people are constantly looking up the prices of cards. Oh, good Lord. Even when that they're at your... me crazy. So you saw, you saw this happen. We saw this at the National, and you saw this here too, right? Because you moved around. So what did you see? I mean, what did you see? As, I, I know you hung out at... It felt like you hung out at my table forever, which was cool. We got to, we got to shoot the shit, and uh, one of our listeners, Clement from New York, he hung out with me, and then he came back later and met Tim and... Hung, we all hung out and and, and uh, you and your wife talked with him and, and you guys like traded some cards or whatever. I mean, it was cool. It was really cool. Like, but you also moved around. I'm mean, like, what did you observe? Yeah. As much as this was at the, went on at the national, as far as like the incessant looking for comps, I, maybe I just didn't notice it because I was more concerned about having fun and everything else at the national. Um, because it was like the first card show after, not having them forever. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I noticed it. Just every table, every dealer, everyone had their phone in their hand and was just flipping through eBay. And it was sickening. There's two thoughts here. You know, you walk up to a table and the guy has some stuff priced and everything's got a sticker on it and everything's got a price. Great. How much is this? Look at the price. Oh, is this $20? What does it say? $20. Okay, it's $20. Great, move on. And then there's so many that just have nothing priced. And those are the booths that I generally just walk past. You know, I look in a case and I'm like, oh, this case is full of slabs. Okay, I'll keep moving. Oh, this case, that's all he has is cases. Let's look. Oh, no hockey. Okay, let's move. Oh, here's a table. They've got some hockey. Let's look at top. Oh, nothing's priced. Let's move. And that was pretty much how we were able to make it through the whole entire place in only a few hours. Normally, it would have taken about five. It took us probably about three to get all the way through everything uh, before we went back to some of the other tables because that's all it was. It was just tables full of cases with cards that weren't priced Mm -hmm. 
and people sitting there flipping through. Well, this sold for this, and 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 using this as Bible. So eBay comps have replaced the Beckett, flipping through the Beckett, going, well, here's the Beckett price, here's the Beckett price, here's high, here's low, mm-hmm. oh, here's the Beckett price. No, here's the, here's the completed auction, here's the completed auction, here's the completed auction. Guess what? How many of those completed auctions people actually paid for their stuff and it was shipped to them and they got it and they have it? How many? We don't know. And we never will know because eBay would never release that information ever. There's no way of knowing if stuff was paid for because it's not like it gets flagged as, hey, this was paid. That never happens. It just shows that it was completed. If it was completed and not sold, it's still there. If it was completed and sold, it lights up all green and nice and shows that it was sold and the date that it was sold. There's no indication of whether something was actually paid. And if anybody's on social media at all, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or any of those, and follows the hobby, knows it's an epidemic. And I hate to use that term now. It's not a pandemic. It's an epidemic Mm -hmm. of people just bidding up stuff and then turning around and either canceling, sending a message to the seller saying, oh, it was my 10-year-old kid had my phone and accidentally bid on this and I don't want to buy it. Or, you know, my sister's dog's uncle's clown got on my account by accident and uh, I need to cancel this. You know, that's all it is. And it's just one after another, after another, after another. And all these people that are out there shill bidding things so that they go through the roof and everything else. And, you know, friends and friends and friends of friends who just bid things up and then they sell way above where they should have been when the actual buyer was only willing to pay you like 20, 25% less. They don't get it, but it sells to the person that has no intention of buying it only because they were trying to push the price up so that the comp showed higher. You don't think that goes on? I guarantee it goes on. And I guarantee it's more than people realize. So just to clarify, because this is something, yeah, that I've been thinking a lot about. So what somebody will do is they might have a card. Say they have a Sidney Crosby Young Gun. You know, that's a high value card. So maybe let's take Leon Dreisaitl Young Gun. I don't know what that sells for. But let's just say Leon Dreisaitl. You can go back to the Crosby because there was a table where a guy had Graded Crosby Young Guns. He had 10 of them mm-hmm. in the case. 10 of them laid out. Everything from a 7 up to a 10. All in one case. I saw that case. Yeah, they ranged from 900 all the way up to 9,000. So what people will do is they, they own a card. They'll go on eBay. They'll buy that card. Not pay for it, but they'll buy that card. Just so there's an example of that card having a recorded high dollar sale. Right? Like, say Tim and I bid against each other on a card to drive up the price. Tim wins the auction. He emails the person, says, oh, I'm sorry, my, uh, what did you say, your stepmother's, uncle's, roommate's clown or whatever. Yes, their pet clown. Got my phone and, okay, so whatever. So that gets canceled, but then it still shows as being, you know, a a $500 sale. Then Tim says, hey, I have this, this card. And look, it just sold for $500 on eBay. And so that's what I think I should get for this card. And that's, you know, it's obviously not what the card should sell for. And I mean, we've been accusing some of those auction companies like PWCC got accused of shill bidding. 
on their own auctions or having people shill bid on their auctions to artificially inflate these prices. And we've seen these same cards get sold over and over with the same PSA serial numbers on them. My question, though, is regarding comps. If a card sells for $100 consistently, why can't I sell mine for $110? Like, I guess what I'm trying to understand is... Why can't you? Why can't I? Or or is this a rhetorical question? Because you can, kind of, but will is, you is the question. Well, well, no, here's the thing, though, is that everybody seems to think, hey, this card has a track record of selling for $100. I'll give you $90 for it. It's like, well, wait, why will you give me $90 if other people are willing to pay $100? And wait a minute, if other people are willing to pay $100, Maybe they're willing to pay $110. You see what I mean? Like, when can when are you allowed as a as a seller of things, especially collectible things that have you know prices that go up and down? When are you allowed to be the trendsetter and not the follower? In other words, I might look and I might say like, okay, who's having a really good uh, season, you know, or or who's who's popular now? Okay. Yeah, you know what? I know this is a $3 card. I'm going to sell mine for $5. You can be the trendsetter when you make that first sale. Right. I mean, and if I'm you want to saying... capitalize all of it, you go ahead of time, you become one of those prospector type people, find 50 or 60 of somebody that's only a quarter, and then hope they make it big so you can sell them for five bucks a piece. I've done that. I mean, I, uh, it's I a crapshoot, and it's gambling, and it's, you know, it's the long play, but some people have made it big doing it that way. And that's that's fine. If that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. But I think what we're talking about here is this, what I am perceiving more and more as we go along here as this artificial market that people are relying on as truth and Bible, when I don't know that it is. And I don't know that it's even in the same ballpark because here's the thing. If you can go on eBay and you can pick stuff up for, you know, whatever. And we look at this stuff all the time. We look at the gambit of what was the high sale? What was the low sale? Okay. Let's throw it somewhere in the middle of that. Right. That's usually what we do. If we're looking at pricing cards, like if I'm going to say, okay, you know, I don't know what this is worth. Oh, here, this one sold for 90. This one sold for 50 couple more sold for 60, one sold for 80. Okay, I'm somewhere in the middle. 75 bucks, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Move along. I don't have a problem with that. Fine, great, nice day. Move along. But like you said, it's the people coming up. Oh, these sell all day for 100 bucks. Well, do they? Is that 100 bucks out the door? Is that 100 bucks to get it in your hands? Oh, no, because there was like $7 shipping. Oh, so it's $107. Well, that doesn't make my 110 one look that bad because you're going to have to wait at least a week for that one. I give you this one right now. For Shipping and sales tax. Oh, yeah, you get the sales tax, too. I'm not going to charge you sales tax. I'm not going to charge you shipping. You can walk away with this today for 110 bucks. I made a dollar and you got the card. whoop de doo Well, I mean, that's the thing. And I would politely say to people when I was selling at the National, they'd be like, oh, well, this card, you have it for 10 and this card sells for 10 on eBay. And I politely say yes. And then you'd pay tax and shipping. And then that that $10 card 
you know, becomes what $3 for shipping. And then they charge you sales tax, even on the shipping. So your $10 card becomes a $14 card. See, I, I w- I'm not trying to gouge people. No, no, no. But and at the same time, I, you yeah. can't, you can't give away everything. You know what I mean? Like you can't, if you have a good card, somebody came up and I had a, uh, I had a, a Willie Mays card tagged at 50 bucks, which I thought was fair. I don't know a, a heck of a lot about baseball. So when I priced my baseball cards, I purchased some baseball cards. I purchased a collection off of somebody. It was baseball and hockey. I knew the hockey, the baseball, I had to do a lot of research on. And then when I was pricing the cards, I had to do a lot of research to find what I felt were fair prices. And 50 felt like a good middle of the road price for that particular card, taking into consideration the year, the player, you know, I said, uh, you know, the year, the player, the condition. And so 50 bucks to me felt like the right price. This guy walks in, he's like, I'll give you 35 for it. And I'm like, I very politely said, no, thank you. You know, it's like, you don't have to sell it. Dealers are allowed to make money. I, I think that's the thing that we forget. Like when I was a kid, when you're a kid, you're cheap because you don't have money. It's just how it is, right? You just have to stretch that dollar. And then like the older I Some got, people more, still are. Huh? I said some people still are cheap. Like me. It's unfortunate because that's how the whole industry was founded, pretty much with price guides where people were like, well, it's a dollar. I'll give you 75 cents, right? Haggling became, I mean, I don't want to say it became normalized. It was part of that from day one. There was no fixed price on these things. It, it fluctuated on region and fluctuated region and, and, you know, other factors. You know, if the player was, you know, gaining popularity. I mean, we even see like, I mean, a couple uh, weeks ago, I was uh, watching the Bears and I wanted a Justin Fields rookie card. And I was going on eBay and I was looking at his Don Rush rated rookie. And I was seeing these cards, like people just using buy it now. Like I was checking the, the sold auction items and all of a sudden, you know, one sold for 10. I'd refresh the page. One sold for 12, one sold for 15. Same card. But all of a sudden, these cars, bing, 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 they're just getting bought up as he's playing the game because people are bidding on the card while the Bears are playing and saying, hmm, I want this guy's card, right? So it's it's that volatile. Well, and there's so, there's so much of that now, the performance-based thing. And there's been a little of that, I think, probably forever. I think there's more of that now. And I don't know if it's the daily fantasy stuff that's drawing over that's pulling over from that i think so or maybe it's a little bit of that i i I don't know i mean i've never seen i've never seen it at this level and you know we talked about it on saturday um at at the booth when we were brought up that the fact that you know where i where i saw you know the light bulb went on that this is what was going on was when you know zabanajad had the five goals was mm-hmm. last season, the season before, two mm-hmm. years ago, whatever. I think it was probably two years ago now. I think he so, had yeah. The, he had the five goals in the one game. And, like, I just happened to look one day, and all of a sudden his young guns were 40 bucks when they were $4, the last I knew. And all of a sudden they're 40 bucks, And it's like, what? And then they were 60 bucks. I'm like, what is going on here? And, yeah five goals in a game and all of a sudden people start paying attention and the demand goes up because somebody somewhere was that first person, like you said, that decided, you know what, this isn't $4. This guy's pretty good. I'm going to sell it for 
20 and he sells one. You know what? That's a little quick. I'm going to sell this one I have for 30 then. See how that goes. Well, then that goes. And it's just like, okay, now everybody sees that. Oh, it sold for 30. Oh, it sold for 40. And so then everybody that pushes the price and pushes the price and pushes the price. Mm -hmm. You know, where to back to my original point is how do you know if your only gauge is to look at these closed auctions and you know the whole site, the whole entire system is flawed and it can be tampered with and it has been tampered with and it's been well documented that this has gone on and it's becoming more and more clear as time goes on that this is happening more frequently and now in person at these shows you're seeing so many people utilizing this as their only means at pricing out the goods that they're purchasing i don't i don't even know what to say about that i mean is it the same as having a price guide some arbitrary price guide and throwing a number oh well this is an eight dollar card yeah i don't think so well it says it's eight so it's eight well i don't care what it says because something's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for something Right. Not what some perceived value is based off of somebody that supposedly bought something, but you're not really sure if they actually bought it. Mm-hmm. You know, buy it now. I'd put more. I, I was thinking, you know, f- you know, framing this thought. I was like, well, maybe buy it now. Pricing would be more reliable, but no, even that, no, because you say, okay, buy it now. I'll buy it now for five thousand dollars. Well, then you click that button. Did you buy it? No, you committed to buy it. No transaction took place. You just said, yeah, take this down. I will purchase that card. You still have to complete that transaction. Because unless I'm crazy, and I've been on eBay since 2000, according to my profile. I don't remember that, but that's what it says. I don't know of a time where I've ever purchased something and didn't have to go through the process of actually checking out and completing the transaction. It's never been hit by it now and it automatically takes whatever I paid for it out of my account that I have tagged to that. Now, if they did that, then I might put some more faith in that pricing because if you click that button and it automatically takes your money, well, guess what? That's a sale. You gave them money. They give you goods. That's how sales work. Maybe like they should show the, the sale price, but then like next to it, it should maybe say in gray letters like pending, meaning like this card is sold and it's not for sale, but it the transaction hasn't been completed. Or at least show it that it's been paid. Right, like, paid or not. Show paid. that it's a completed completed transaction, not a not like a completed auction, but a right. completed transaction, meaning. It was posted, it was bid on, it was purchased, it was paid. Mm -hmm. I don't need to know who bought it. Nope. I don't need to know all that. I just need to know that the number that they're saying that the auction ended at was actually bought and it was actually paid for and the transaction was complete. You could even go as far as say it was marked as shipped too. So then the only people that are going to be on the hook for, you know, for in the system are the people that are like we talked about the friends that set up okay you buy this you transfer me the money so we can show the transfer went down and i'll mark it as shipped but we'll never do any of that well mm-hmm. now you got other things involved with it now you got okay you probably did paypal or you did venmo or you did put it on a credit card or you did something 
So now you got to go through the process of reversing that transaction. Oh, if it's or, an eBay thing, forget about it. I mean, not forget yeah. about it, but that's hard. Or you do the transaction on PayPal and then you're like, oh, well, then you'll just give me the money back. Well, guess what? They're cracking down on all of that crap, too, and the number mm -hmm. of transactions and, mm -hmm. you know, what's going as goods and service versus what's going as friends and family and all of that kind of thing. So, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think a price guide is the answer because obviously it wasn't. I don't know that, and I'm I'm all for the real time pricing, but the problem is there's no regulation to any of it, and there's really no checks and balances to it, and so all these, as I call them, the hobby bros with their hobby bro boxes and their shorts and sandals when it's 25 degrees outside, walking around the shows and just basically flipping through their phone looking at completed auctions of all their basketball prism cards. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Your twenty and thirty dollar card that you're trying to get three thousand dollars for, really? I don't know. I just—it's not my world. And if that's your thing, then great, fine. I hope you make money. I hope it makes you happy. I hope it does whatever. It's not my thing. I don't understand it. And there's got to be a better way. That's all I'm saying. I think part of my frustration as a vendor is that. The people who would ask me if I had certain cards, they'd come in, they'd be like, got any graded PSA 10 Ovechkin Young Guns? They were not walking into my booth with a Capitals jersey or a Capitals hat. They were, they were not, maybe not even hockey fans. They'd ask for like Crosby, Ovechkin, McDavid. And they were not fans really of them they seem more like they were the speculator types. Yeah, and that's fine. If you're a vendor and you're a dealer and you have a sale and there's the card and it's $10,000 and they're going to pay you 9000 and you're fine with taking that, great. You sold a card. But you sold it to a fan. Point. You sold it to a dealer. You sold it to a speculator. You sold it to a quote-unquote investor. I mean, as, as somebody that's trying to make money, who cares? But I know what you're getting at. Okay, so a sale's a sale. A customer's a customer. But what I'm getting at is they'd say, do you got any Ovechkin cards? And I'd say, oh, yeah, I have a stack of Ovechkin cards. And I'd hand them the stack, and it'd be like, got any young guns? And I'd be like, oh, no, these are going to be, like, probably second year and up. And it'd be like, oh. And they'd, like, hand me back the stack. Like, I somehow insulted them or insulted right. their mother. Like, I guess the thing is, is, like, when somebody says... Do you have any Crosby cards? Yeah, I got a whole bunch of Sydney Crosby cards. Actually, I didn't. I had maybe about 10. Or you got any nice Crosby cards? Yeah, I got this great Crosby card that has a piece of jersey and Malkin's jersey. And on the other side, it has two other jersey pieces of two other players from the Rangers. I thought it was a pretty nice card. And you're like, oh, no, I wanted a young gun. Or And, and it's like, okay, well, I get that. it's gotten to that point. Do you have any well, Crosby cards? Yeah, I have lots of them. Oh, but I mean the young guy, because to me, that's the only card that exists. Right. And so the thing is, is that I'm selling my cards to fans because like, I'll give you like, now I'll give you like a happy story. Some guy was like looking at my case and then he said, is that an Eddie Olchek rookie card? Now it was in a rookie card top loader. And I smiled and I said, oh yeah, that's Eddie's rookie card. He's like, oh, I'd love to have that. And he, he was, he paid me for it and he was so happy for it. It was only a couple of bucks. 
But see, that's the kind of transaction that I like. That's the kind of person, not the kind of person I want to sell to, but that's the kind of person that I cater to. Somebody who walks in and says, oh, wow, cool, that's a really neat looking card. Or I've never, oh, wow, Eddie Olchek, yeah, I guess he used to be a player. Oh, my God, I, I want this card. Thank you. You know what I mean? That's But that's, that's the rub, isn't it? What? That is the rub. And we've we've had this discussion on different, maybe not this specific, but on this level about this. Because remember I said, it'll be interesting to see how this experiment with selling works for you. Because you above anybody else I know, you are a collector. You're a completist type collector. Mm -hmm. You're a fan. And you're, uh, I'm immersed because I love it, collector. Mm -hmm. And that type of person this is not insulting by any means so don't take it that way but that type of person unloading stuff that's the exact opinion and feeling that i would expect you to have is you would rather sell to the person that's gonna love the hell out of a two dollar eddie Olchuk rookie than buy a five thousand dollar connor mcdavid card from you and turn around and go try to flip it for $5,010. Right. And not give not give a care in the world about any of it. And that's, like I said, that's the rub. That's the rub for any collector trying to move over into the, I'm going to make money here mm-hmm. doing this. I'm going to also be a collector, but I'm also going to make money. Because you start to see all of those things that you as a collector have these preconceived opinions about of how you want things to be. But then you face the reality of you're not just dealing with the Eddie Olchuk fan. You're also dealing with the hobby bros with their cases and the guys that know nothing about hockey cards, but they know the names Ovechkin, Crosby, and McDavid are the hot ones or the guys that were told at one point by one of the many YouTubers that tells you to invest in this and invest in that. And they decided one day, you know what? Let's go to hockey. What's hot? Young guns. That's what you go after. And that's it. Those are the guys that you're just like, Ugh. but you don't necessarily turn them away. If you have the stuff, there it is. You make a buck here, you make a buck there. And that thousand dollars you made off of bro guy felt dirty, but you made a thousand bucks. Well, the and the $2 is- you made off the other guy has the greatest $2 you ever made. Well, it's $3, but who's counting? Well, I guess I am. But you, you know my point. No, but the thing is, is that, like, I want to try to have something for everybody. So I did have some high-end stuff, and I had some low-end stuff, and I had kind of, like, a lot of middle-of-the-road stuff, and I had some really cheap stuff, and I had my T-shirts, which I didn't make a million dollars in T-shirt sales, unfortunately, but everyone who bought a T-shirt was like, these are really freaking cool shirts, you know what I mean? So And they do that every time. The people that want them really want them. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. This was the first show that you threw out the discount boxes. Well, actually, no. I did I did throw out the discount boxes at that show in Lake Station, Indiana. Yeah, but we don't want to talk Nobody about Nobody looked show. at them. I think yeah. you looked at them and said, oh, these are nice. And that was it. But, yeah, so this is – I didn't have the cheap boxes at the National. So what I really meant was this is the first one where you actually had exposure. More than 40 people walked past your table. Yes. Where you had these. Yes. So I guess I guess my question is, was it worth it to take up maybe three feet of space 
with those types of boxes. Okay, day one, no. Day two, no. And then day three, I changed my strategy. Oh, really? I said, yes. And I said to myself, you know what? You said to yourself, self, I, I said, said? Self, I said, I need to put these at the front of my booth and not at the back of my booth. See, I kind of thought what would happen is that people would get drawn in by the cases, move back towards the back of my booth, look at all the other cool stuff that I had on that back table. Because, like, I had the cases on the front table. I had, like, kind of like an L shape. And then in the back, I had some sticker sets and some, like, oddball items and some hockey books and, like, pucks and, like, just different, like, ephemera and memorabilia and stuff like that. And, like, People, most people just kind of walked by that stuff. Oh, and then I had the cheap boxes. I had three for a dollar boxes. I had uh, $5 or five for 20 boxes. Uh, I had some small sets that were complete, you know, like insert sets, sticker sets, whatnot. Almost everybody kind of glossed over those. Maybe they'd look at the small sets and I did sell some of the small sets, but nobody dug through the 50 cent boxes or the $5 boxes. The third day of the show, I took one display case, I moved it on the back table, and then I moved those 50 cent and $5 boxes to the front of my other table, moved that other table as close out to the aisle as I could, and then I put a chair right there. And so then people would see three boxes that said hockey cards, 50 cent each or three for a dollar. They'd slow down, they'd start looking, they'd sit down in the chair, they'd start digging through it. And then I'd make sales on that. Sometimes it was just three bucks. Sometimes it was like 18 bucks. So was it worth it the third day? Yes. And I learned an important lesson. The lesson you learned to is, move those to the front. <laughs> the, the lesson is, is that people will always walk to see what's in the display cases. Display cases are a beacon. People want to see what's in the cases because they want to know what's in the cases. Well, they will not walk to see what the sign on the white boxes say, because they're in white boxes, so they assume that they must be cheap cards. Now think about this, how many times have you, you've seen like white boxes on a table and you just randomly reach in and you grab a card and it's tagged at $30 and you're like, whoa, it's not what you're expecting. You're expecting these to be like a dollar card, $2 cards, you know what I mean? You pull it out and it's tagged at like $30. And like, well, I wasn't expecting that, you know, I thought this would be in a case or something, or this would be out on the table, you know, like get being, being seen and not being hidden, right? So make the cheap boxes easy to get to, make them painfully easy to get to. People will walk to the cases. They'll walk the extra 10 feet to see what's in the case, see that it's hockey cards and walk away. But they'll, they'll walk to it. I like how you added, see the hockey cards and then just turn around and walk the other way. <laughs> 90%. Well, and, and again, that goes to the, the audience that you're, that you're playing to. But, you know, the reason why I brought up that question is that's a thing that comes up all the time. You know, collectors are always talking about, you know, my favorite thing when I go to shows is quarter box diving or 50 cent box diving or dollar box diving or whatever. I mean, Jess and I spent the better part of, I swear it was two hours at one table. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't remember the guy's name, but he had one table and he had 3,500 count boxes, just stacks of them all over the table. Most of them marked baseball, basketball, football, but we found three or four boxes that were marked hockey. 
and they were either dollar boxes or they were 50 cent boxes. Now, when we got to the table, one guy had commandeered the 50 cent hockey boxes and did not let up and was just, uh, he must have bought half the box, the mm. one box. I mean, he bought a ton of stuff from those guys. But so we were looking through the dollar ones while the guy was looking through the 50 cent ones. And you know how many young guns I found from all my different young gun sets I'm trying to build? A ton. Hmm. A ton. A stack, probably about three inches high of just tons of young guns for a dollar or 50 cents of a lot of the quote-unquote scrub guns that I was missing from various years of of various upper deck sets from 2000 until now. Mm -hmm. And there were even a lot of other ones in there that were not scrub guns and guys that were actually somewhat decent that were just mm-hmm. thrown in the box for 50 cents or a buck. Hmm. I would, you would have never seen those, but they were buried underneath the piles and we spent the time going through them and we sat at that table forever, just flipping through the boxes, sorting the lit through the list and stuff. And it was fun. So many people came up and get comments about how my wife was a saint and hmm. uh, she should, I've gotten paid for doing that job and all the various uh, platitudes of that are given towards females putting up with males, the predominantly male uh, hobby. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Is that, is that sexist to say that stuff? I don't know. But she, I mean, she collects too. So, but yeah, tons of guys are like, Oh, you must be a saint. You know, standing here and helping him go through all these cards and stuff. And she was just like, eh, shut up, leave me alone. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, and we just went through and because we were finding what we wanted. And that's, that's what we were looking for. And I think when it comes to hockey, there's too many collectors like us that dealers don't realize that. They just know what's hot. And what's hot is basketball and baseball and football. And Connor McDavid and... Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. And other than that, everything else, eh, whatever. Heck, I was shocked. I shouldn't say shocked. I kind of expected it, but not to this level. How many people were scrambling for Formula One cards? I could not believe it. Really? It was almost every table, almost every dealer. They had signs up buying Formula One paying top dollar for formula one. And as we were walking around, I found cases where they were selling wax boxes of tops formula one for thousands. We're talking thousands of dollars for hobby boxes of F one thousands. What am I missing here? I don't know. And I don't know where this popularity came from. The same thing with soccer. F1 was a little more on the extreme high side, but soccer was the other one. Tons of people buying soccer, whatever soccer you got. I'm only buying soccer. Oh, I've got these basketball. Nope, I'm only buying soccer. And it's like, what is the preparation for? Is there going to be this big, huge, giant surge on soccer now and Formula One? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, call me when the garbage pail kid resurgence comes in because we've got a whole box sitting over here of oh uh, that stuff. already happened actually you, well, the well, first see, three series out. of garbage pail kids from the 80s very popular i think after the third series 
they got printed in way higher quantities. But I know like the first two series are um are uh you know were printed in lesser quantities. They didn't you know they didn't they caught on. I mean I remember Garbage Pail Kids back in the back in the day. I remember when they first came out. You know Garbage Pail Kid was a spin-off from uh Wacky Packs. Uh, uh, yeah, it was kind of like a combination of that to play off of the the, the whole Cabbage Patch doll. Well, I think they made a craze. wacky pack of, you know, it was a Garbage Pail Kid. And then that got spun off into its own set. Oh, uh, okay. You understand what I'm saying, though. Because that's, like, the crazy thing. And I don't know why people are scrambling for Formula One or soccer or whatever. But if it's popular, it's popular. And people are going to try to make a buck off of it. Yeah, but and hockey, I think that's it, though. Is that it, they, they're scrambling because they want to make a buck off of it. And I think that's what made it not fun. And, like... Earlier, I said you mentioned about seeing the seven or eight Sidney Crosby Young Guns that were graded. I remember that table. It was on the end. It was close to the windows, and they had yeah, they were on the all these side. graded cards. They had a, a PSA ten Cam Neely rookie card for nine hundred dollars, and I'm like, I get that Cam Neely is a great player, Hall of Famer, an eighty four eighty five OPG is is a great looking set, and OPG you know had centering issues and border issues and stuff. But $900 for a PSA 10, I mean, it's Cam Neely, but $900? Just to say you have this card that's perfect? Yeah, you know what? The one that's in my nine-pocket page in my binder on my bookshelf, that one's just fine for me. Right. And that's why I'm saying, you know, you and I are different. A lot of our listeners are, are cut from the same ilk as we are. Um, and a lot of other collectors out there and the hockey collectors mainly they go to these shows especially in the united states and hockey is rare let's face it hockey is rare and from the sound of things it's going to become even more rare when everybody replaces hockey with soccer in a formula one but you throw hockey boxes out front to where everybody walking by sees a sign that says hockey you guarantee there's going to be people bellying up to that bar to start sorting. If I didn't already know everything that you already had, I would have been one of those. Right. I'm just kidding. I, I right. probably should have been anyway. Hmm. But um, yeah. So, I mean, I had a good time selling, and I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna do the show in March. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do a show every month. So I'll definitely be doing the Chicago Sports Spectacular in March. They usually do one in June in years that they don't have the national in chicago i'm not sure if i'm going to be doing that one yet i might be doing the national in atlantic city that's still up in the air but i'm trying to work out something where i might be able to be there i mean i'm going to keep doing shows oh you know that's the other thing too is that uh one mistake that i made or one misconception that i made was this was not the national i thought it'd be like a scaled down version of the national not at all because i'll tell you this there were people who came in from out of town, you know, New York or Kentucky or Nashville or Texas, like people come in from all over for the Chicago Sports Spectacular. But at the National, I'd have people come and want my Brooms cards. I'd have people come and want my Flyers cards. I'd have people and want my Rangers cards. I mean, I put out some Minnesota Wild cards that were like serial numbered that somebody bought. You know what I mean? Like anything I could put out, I can almost not go wrong with anything. You know what I mean? Here, it was kind of like Crosby, nah, not even. Really, it was McDavid, Lafreniere, a little bit. No, actually, I think I just sold one Lafreniere card, maybe two. 
hardly any Blackhawk cards, go figure, other than like a bunch of Corey Crawford cards and that Eddie Olchek card. Um, but, you know, you find the right person. You try to, it's like fishing. You have to, you cast a lot of lines and then somebody's like, oh, they want my Dominic Kubalik cards. Cool. Or, oh, cool. They want this Tony Amate autograph. Cards, yes. Other hockey stuff, not so much because I had pucks. I had like collectible plastic drinking cups. I had books. Books, I sold a couple of books. But like all that other stuff is really hard to sell. Like you really have to find somebody who wants that. You put out a baseball card, someone's going to want it much faster than a baseball book. Even though the book might be more interesting. Even though the book might be from the 60s or 70s. You know what I mean? It's just it's just kind of funny how that works out. At a show like that, yeah, I could see that. And you're right. Yeah. You have to you have to know your audience. The national is going to bring people from all over. So if you have a mix of everything, you're going to get them. A regional mm-hmm. show like that, where it's mostly mostly people from that local area or close by within a few states. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many tables were inundated with not only Bears, Cubs, Bulls, and Blackhawks stuff, but green bay tons of boxes of just exclusively green bay stuff detroit exclusively detroit stuff Mm -hmm. um you know not so much nashville but uh that was mostly it some minnesota but other than that that is it so it's kind of like midwestern area because they know that the bulk of the people are from this area rather than the national is from this area and it's it's a much much larger audience now these are usa problems these aren't problems that our friends up in canada have because they can Mm -hmm. go to any show and have just anything all the time hockey related Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's gross and it's disgusting and i'm jealous i am too so one day one day i will make it up there to go to a big show and that will be the most glorious day of my life this was a great experience. I had fun. I'll do it again. And uh, I, I look forward to the next show. I guess that's the other thing, too, is that I really enjoy. I've always enjoyed being a seller. I used to do shows in the 90s as, as a teenager. And I, I always looked forward to it. I always enjoyed it. I always enjoyed talking to people. Just having even that downtime to just kind of stand around and talk to people. I mean, yeah, I want to make sales, but I want to meet people, too, and have fun and make connections and And I did that. So, I mean, you know, overall, it was a great experience. Yeah, I mean, there's a few annoyances here and there, but I mean, overwhelmingly positive of an experience. We had fun when we were there walking around as buyers and observers, too. You know, like I said, we were able to make it through this one quicker because there was a lot of, uh, I don't want to say dead space, but there was a lot of more or less dead space and space that was uninteresting to us just because of the things that they were selling or the stuff that was going on or how it was going on. A little disappointed that one of the big car dealers decided to show up with only their repack boxes and none of their stuff they normally sell. Yeah, that was that disappointing. Was kind of disappointing. But, you know, some of the other big guys were there, like Chicagoland Sports was there. Um, Steel City was there. Um, you know, there were a couple other ones that uh, that, that had you know, volume as far as wax and everything else. So we were able to get get what we needed from a sealed pack busting standpoint and looked through a lot of a lot of boxes, picked up quite a bit of singles for our sets and 
saw some pretty cool things in the process too while we were there so it was fun it was a good time all right well i think we've said all that we can say about this any last thoughts about the show no all right there we go then thank you for listening to the puck junk hockey podcast as always if you've enjoyed the show please like and subscribe please tell people that you know and until next time collect what you like For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.